Welcome back to Obscure Broadcasting's podcast, Famous Last Words. It's been a long time since we've done anything with this podcast, but we're going to give it a go again. Uh, I am Andrew Alden, and you are? I am Teresa Alden. And we're married. Uh, I think that's important to know. Is that important to know? I guess. I guess. Um, so we've <laughs> been, uh, what have we been up to? We've been, uh, we made a movie. Well, we're in the middle of making a movie. Well, we're the, in the middle of post-production. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we have been not on our podcast lately, um, but mainly because we've been, for the last year or two years, focusing on making our really our first feature film called Dangerous Creation. And there'll be more on that later in the podcast, uh, not this episode, but in future episodes. Um, but we kind of wanted to change up Famous Last Words as just kind of us talking about movies, doing some interviews, maybe having some guests on occasionally, but basically just us talking, sometimes reviewing old movies or new movies or kind of doing themes. And our first theme is going to be 31 Days of Horror Movies. And uh, today we're going to be talking about Nightmare on Elm Street, A Nightmare on Elm Street uh, 1 and A Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Colon. Dream Warriors. Warriors. <laughs> uh, we didn't watch two, and we thought that they kind of they felt like they went together in their own kind of way. Um, what did you think of A Nightmare on Elm Street: Colon Part One? <laughs> There's no colon in the first one. There's no. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah, we felt like these ones could be packaged together because one and three um, were Wes Craven. Uh, movies and two was not it was separate from him right um, he wasn't involved at all in the second one he was yeah he wrote this one yep kind of sort of <laughs> allegedly yeah. um it's been said that the final movie was very different from the script that he wrote but um yeah so i had never seen the nightmare on elm street movies until a little while ago when we watched the first one and you know, I, I really liked it. I think there's like a mythos built around it. So I knew things already about the movie before even watching it. And so I do wonder if that like played a role in some of my expectations of it. What did you think of the first movie? Um, we aren't going to talk about it in this episode, but it, it it is kind of like the there's a mythos around growing up in a post Nightmare on Elm Street, kind of a post slasher world. Um, like we grew up in the nineties and that was kind of like after the slasher genre had had its heyday. And so they were kind of abominations of what they had formerly been growing up because the, the higher the number traditionally of these sequels, the more they become kind of self parodying of, of what they formerly were. So my expectations for like the first ones of each series is really high. And I have to admit that like, it doesn't have any of like, I was expecting something on Halloween's level, and it's just not on... It wasn't on Halloween's level. It's not as scary as Halloween. I mean, it's kind of scary, but it's also incredibly dated in a way that Halloween doesn't feel as incredibly dated. And that was kind of like what I hold all slasher films to the Halloween kind of standard. Um, yeah. Maybe I, unfairly. I agree, too. And I actually wondered if that was because I watched Halloween when I was a teenager, and I hadn't seen the Freddy Krueger movies or even the Jason movies until this year. And mm -hmm. so I do wonder if that 
plays a role because I do, I have heard like people who have watched the Jason movies or the Freddy movies when they were younger have like much more affinity towards it. And I saw Halloween when I was a kid and I loved it. I think it still holds up. I think it's a really quality movie. I think it has a lot to say about um, the nightmare of like everyday life in an everyday like suburban land. And that was like the first of its kind. And so, yeah, I think when I saw the Freddy one, I was like, I could feel similarities to Halloween, but it just like wasn't as good. I think some of the um, the deaths and the way that the <clears throat> the kids were killed in Nightmare on Elm Street are actually really unique, and I think better than um, maybe the Friday for the Thirteenth movies. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, yeah, I, it's it's interesting because I think it's a, a fear. It's it's the early eighties. The the first one came out in nineteen eighty four, so it was written you know around filmed around nineteen eighty three. So you're really thinking about the early to mid eighties and this kind of uh, second kind of sexual revolution, the the uh, plug in and tune out kind of generation, and this whole kind of like idea that youth generation uh, X or whatever they were called, kind of being lost in this kind of malaise of superficiality. And you can definitely feel, especially with the first one, that that was kind of the thing that they, the 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 baby boomer, the late baby boomer parents, had kind of like created like somewhat sleepwalking, I think pun intended, uh, children that like seemed kind of vapid in their own way, and the parents, uh, who were John Saxton and Marge Thompson, uh, or sorry, Ronnie Blake, Blakey uh, was the mother. Uh, both of them gave pretty underwhelming performances and pretty campy stuff uh, in that first movie. Um, Parents play so much more of a role in A Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wonder if that has to do with like the nightmare fact of it and like kids in their bedrooms and in their home where they feel safe. This is where like this murder is coming. So I think that's pretty that kind of slasher film is unique and it is interesting to see how like these films portray parents because it's very poorly. It's like the kids are in control and the parents are like complete messes. Yeah. Uh, I thought to not belabor the point on the first one, it was interesting and it's funny that there's such a relationship between the evil dead movies and the nightmare on Elm street movies because, uh, you know, Sam Raimi and Wes Craven were friends and, uh, they had definitely had like a mutual respect for each other's work. And so there's definitely like a there's definitely a humor, like that very 1980s camp, that gets thicker and thicker with each with between the first the two we watched, like like there's a camp factor that I think pervades many, it pervades the worse in my opinion John Carpenter stuff is laid on thick with camp, and the um. You know, definitely Evil Dead, the first Evil Dead movies or all the Evil Dead series movies are all very, very campy in their portrayal of people. And this Nightmare on Elm Street movies are kind of campy. And I think that's part of the reason why people like them. However, I just don't think the camp camp doesn't age well because it's like uh, it's it's a commentary on on the way people perceive uh, dramaturgical. Uh, I sound like a, a, like, you know, a. Uh, college professor but it pervades the uh the form you know what i mean is what people think is like overly dramaturgical or overly something you know the the veneer of society is camp 
and highlighting the, that. And I think like, you know, kind of what now we call dad jokes is like what Freddie kind of was definitely working towards as we get into the third movie. I think a very interesting thing about between the first movie and the third movie is they had two of the young people in each of these movies went on to become much bigger stars than even the franchise in the first movie. Johnny Depp, of course, is the boyfriend. And in the third movie, uh, Patricia Arquette is um, Kristen, who is kind of the main character, sort of, mm-hmm. who is the main supporting character. Yeah, I think speaking back about the camp of it all, I actually kind of disagree with you. I think the camp is what makes these movies appealing to me. I think John Carpenter, I actually like when he's less campy. I think as a filmmaker and as like a creator, I think he actually um, excels in more serious, more scary uh, movies. But I think, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, I actually way preferred the third one, Dream Warriors, because it felt so much more like Evil Dead 2 or Army of Darkness and it had such a style to it. And I I felt a lack of like direction and style in the first one. Mm -hmm. I think it was trying to be something it wasn't or it like couldn't find its legs yet because it really was trying to be serious, but it also wanted to be funny, especially um, the guy who plays Freddy. I think he, um, you know, he really finds himself as a character in the third one or maybe throughout the first one, but it just doesn't fit with the tone of the movie in the first one. And the third one, you know, he's super campy and he has like dad jokes and he's just ridiculous. Like the like almost meta sometimes. too. Yeah. The like main tagline of that movie or like the line that became the biggest one liner was like, it's prime time bitch or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just so silly. And I just, I really like the aesthetic of dream warriors. I think, the the fact that they had a bigger budget to do more special effects made it able for them to lean into the outrageous and they leaned really hard into like the 80s um with the soundtrack and the like neon lighting and a lot of the set pieces for the nightmares yeah the the tricycle when they melt the tricycle or maybe it's stop motion it's kind of unclear how exactly they did that i don't know if we could figure that out, but uh, they kind of melt. It looks like a tricycle melts at one point. I, I thought that was that was really interesting. I couldn't figure out how they had done it, and as opposed to like you know, it's not it was it's not clear. It wasn't a puppet. It wasn't who knows. Um, maybe they made it out of something that looked like a tricycle, that and therefore they could melt more easily than metal. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I uh, I I I think um, a nightmare on Elm Street three colon Dream Warriors was abysmal oh my Um, god no (laughs) i i uh i uh, it completely falls apart near the end uh particularly one very very poor skeleton fighting two human thing that happens and and uh yeah no i thought this one movie uh really kind of fell apart and the climax felt like a non-climax um and i don't know uh, yeah in general though i think the 1980s like comedy schlocky camp doesn't stand the test of time at all it like it seems like it's an excuse for bad filmmaking no i really think it depends on your attachment to like campiness because i spent a lot of time as a youth watching like reanimator and just tons of campy movies and i love them i think 
they're much more interesting than a horror movie that can't pull it off you know like Mm -hmm. they're doing their own thing and i really appreciate that and i i agree with you the skeleton scene was just terrible in this movie and it was completely it broke the rules of the movie like Mm -hmm. i like that you can be super campy in night in a nightmare in elm street movies because you have the nightmare to like depend on and you can kind of do whatever you want in the dream Mm -hmm. um and that feels really real to life and stories um, but like the skeleton thing was in the real waking world and it was just bizarre and dumb. And it looked like it looked like the skeletons in the army of darkness, which are supposed to be like a big joke. Mm-hmm. And so, right. It just depends. I, I think if you don't grow up with a really enjoying campy movies, then it's just going to seem atrocious to you, I think. Yeah. Well, that's, that, that could be part of it. I think, um, yeah, I I just think it it doesn't it doesn't stand the test of time um, for me at least. I think if you grew up with that campiness, I mean, I love the thing, and I think we're we're gonna talk about the thing probably in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but the worst parts of the things are the things that date it so hard. Uh, you know, there's some camp in the thing that we'll have to go back and talk about later. But like, mm-hmm. in the mouth of madness is one of my favorite movies, and we used a lot of like parts of in the mouth of madness in thinking about our movie and the reason why in the mouth of madness isn't like one of my top top favorite movies is because in the third act it like really leans into the camp of it all and like the woman who eats her keys and like you know like <laughs> it starts out a certain way that i really like and then devolves into like kind of like an 80s early 90s kind of thing that i think really just like you know the sam neill laughing and watching himself in the in the theater at the end of in the mouth of madness just doesn't doesn't do it for me i actually agree with you i think i hate movies that start out one way and then like just turn into like camp or whatever else Mm -hmm. in the end and i i just think if you're gonna like be campy like go all out yeah like make sure that's part of your persona and i think that's some of my favorite movies especially in the horror genre that are more campy are like we know what we are and we're like proud of it and this is this movie and this is only going to be for, you know, a, a group of people who enjoy this. But I think that group is actually pretty big. And that's why some of these movies have stood the test of time because people, you could look at camp in two different ways. Like how you were thinking of it as like, it just dates the movie so incredible and that it's hard to stay in it. Or it's like a window into a decade or a part, a moment in time where everything's incredibly stylized and very over the top. And it's fun to like go into that world as almost as if you're going into like a narrative about the future or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, the most interesting thing to me too, is that this movie would never get made in this day and age, uh, either the first one or the third one, because they, you almost in a way root for Freddy in some sequences to like, you know, basically like just to watch him murder these young people. But then you're kind of like, they'd never green light a movie completely out of nowhere. They would reboot this. And I think they have tried to reboot the Freddy, the nightmare on Elm street characters. Um, however, they w- it just wouldn't work nowadays because he's a pedophile. Like, so, and they, so it's very, it's a weird thing that they're making such light of such a villainous character. And that I think only can happen in the 80s like that only could become a thing in the 80s and 90s like where like 
Well, they changed it. He was in the script originally supposed to be a pedophile and they changed it to like child murderer. And I think that was part of the reason was like if they wanted to lean towards campiness or towards humor, I think it would have been a little bit more hard Mm -hmm. to deal with that. Yeah. I, yeah. So, I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street, we did have plans to watch uh, one more of his oeuvre of the oeuvre of the Freddy uh, Krueger oeuvre. Uh, (laughs) And we will probably still do that. I'm a little interested to see, more Wes Craven. Wes Craven, uh, just to quickly finish off here, Wes Craven is super interesting to me that he was like a teacher at Potsdam and was just like, you know, teaching and he kind of was writing scripts and kind of transitioned li- somewhat later in life than most people do to directing, which is super mm. interesting. Yeah. And I think his movies are well thought out. And, you know, one thing I did quickly want to note about the Nightmare on Elm Street movies or at least the two that we've watched so far, is they are, you know, they weren't afraid to have, you know, like sometimes they get the nickname like Scream Queens, but I think actually all of the female characters in the movies are very strong and... Even the mothers? Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, of the young kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in the third movie, it's um, the two women Kristen or Kristen what's the um the woman who's the original the character in the original uh Heather Langenkamp yeah her her character Nancy yep something and then um Kincaid who's a black guy and it's the three of them left to like fight Freddy and save their other friend save the white guy yeah and like same thing in the first movie it's it's the the main character she you know she's young and, and running around but like and 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 doing her best as a as a young kid stuck in a nightmare, <laughs> right. but she has like a lot of power in it, and I think that was very like forward thinking of Wes Craven in the eighties, and led on to just a lot of lead roles for women in mm-hmm. horror. Uh, yeah, and I thought another yeah, it's true, and it's it's hard. A lot of these times, a lot of these horror movies that we talk about, we're going to have to remember that they were not tropes when the time they were created in these things. So they're new. Like we're mm-hmm. so used to some of this that is now old hat to us and almost parodied of itself. But at the time, these a lot of these were like very new ideas and new ways of subverting the genre. Um, Lawrence Fishburne is in this movie credited as Larry Fishburne <laughs> and uh, in the third one. And it's funny because he became such a big star. He's on the poster uh, on Amazon, though he oh. is not that big of a character in the movie. But he he, he does a great job with the uh, kind of yeah. Very, he has very a small. He, does do. he has a really small role, but like as soon as he was on screen, Andrew was like, "Ah, oh, he's such a good actor!" Like even just yeah. playing, you know, just an average guy in the movie, you know, you you just like feel for his character so much, and that he's not even on screen that long, and you're just like. Oh, I know this guy, and I think that's a testament to him as an actor. So, and I think that has to do with like you know like the Meisner technique of like really embodying somebody as opposed to performing someone. I think that's uh, in being like met you know a method about how you think about a character. And I think Lawrence Fishburne is able to like cascade into roles really easily because he's able to like create them into people less so than a performance because he is very. And at least nowadays, in like the John Wick movie, he has like he's a very larger than life character, mm-hmm. and the way that he 
approaches his roles. <laughs> um, so Nightmare on Elm Street, I I think it's it's a good one to to watch if if not just for the history of it. Um, mm-hmm. I I can't get over in the first one when they pull the what is clearly like a mannequin through the window in the last scene, the very last scene. The oh yeah, the mother gets is that the mother? Yes, yeah, the mother. Yeah, both movies have its issues. I but I recommend I recommend watching both. And if you like campy ones, you like the third one. If you like weird special effects, I mean, it's very creative. They come up with some mm-hmm. really great set pieces. Yep. And uh, if you want to watch a kind of a longer form thing, talking about like the whole 80s genre in the search of darkness is uh, is a documentary. It's like a four hour documentary walking you through every year of the 80s. Um, it came out last year. It's on uh, Shutter, And it, I think it was great. It kind of like it helps you kind of work through like the way things are going and it kind of doesn't steer away from like, Oh yeah, things got like a little overboard here. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah. And the good thing about that documentary, even though it's four hours long, you can watch it in chunks. So yeah, it's very broken up. It could have been episodic or year by year to have each one be 20 minutes or so, Mm -hmm. 15, 20 minutes. Um, So yeah. Do do you recommend, so you prefer (laughs) Elm street three? I do. Okay. And you prefer the first one? I guess. I mean, I think you should, if you're going to watch them, just watch them together because I think they go well together. Yeah. 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 You definitely watch them together. And there is, I think the most brutal sequence in the, all of the movies is when Johnny Depp turns into slush. Oh, hmm, that is brutal. I think the because of the way his parents played it, the, they, they had the parents play it as if like very realistically, I thought, which mm-hmm. they don't play it towards the camp. That's true. That is a good point. And if you want a brutal scene in the um, third one, the marionette puppet scene mm. where the guy is being like pulled by his like tendons as if he's a puppet and then ends up like getting pushed off a building or jumping off the building is what the people think of mm-hmm. the institution. So it's great. Yep. Good movie. And uh, we will be back with 30 more days. Of horror.